Welcome to another episode of the Memory Machine Podcast, a historical, pop-cultural, anecdotal podcast, a spoke on the many-bespoke wheel of the Geekiverse Media Network. My name is Nate Lockhart, I'm your host, and today I have with me here... My name is Andrew Parks, and I think what you mean is the Geekiverse uh, Media Conglomerate. Geekiverse Media Conglomerate. Yes. Yes, yes. Um, the, the the mighty... Uh, the the, the uh, Oh, the, the Gilded Age octopus metaphor that is the Geekiverse. Absolutely. Soon to rival <laughs> Disney in uh, yes. in its might and uh, authority in our lives. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Prepare for them to own, um, uh, I don't know, Transformers. I mean, they, they, they might not end up, you know, getting their own Marvel or Star Wars, but uh, Hanna-Barbera is right for the taking, so mm-hmm. you, you never know. Mm-hmm. I mean, WB can't hang on to it forever. Think they might just let it go? Can you imagine? Snagglepuss reboot. <laughs> I couldn't get it through that without, without uh, cracking up. Um, so Andy, we just went to uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We did. It was a lovely city. I'd actually never been to the state of Wisconsin before. Uh, this is the only reason I've ever been to the state of Wisconsin. <laughs> uh, the reason, of course, going for, for us going to uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, was for the Midwest Gaming Classic. A uh, two, perhaps three days, if you could pay pony up for the Friday portion, but uh, a, a, a two to three day event in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, celebrating all things old video games, well, old video games, pinball, and old computers. And they, you know, they do, they have panels, they have uh, marketplace, they have a uh, big arcade, which takes up just a gigantic hall uh, a con hall and uh yeah we just came back from it and andy this this was my sixth i've been to, really? to, to six of these i had not i was not aware that you had been to so many i know you yeah. had been to a few but i had I I, was... i've only missed one since 2013 and that was because i had a new job and i couldn't get away from from it i to, see to i do see it. uh so that was kind of a bummer but it's all right I, i've been to every single one since then so uh yeah Andy, this was your very first, though, so it what was. are your thoughts? Oh, my word. I was I was expecting that it would be big and there would mm. be enthusiasm. I was not prepared for how how big and enthusiastic this yeah. it was. It was, I assumed it would be like half of the convention center and it would be a few things. It took over the vast majority of the convention center. Yeah. It was... Uh, multiple floors of this very big convention center. It was, uh, it was impressive to say the least. It was, I felt like it was a celebration of nerd culture because yeah. it wasn't mm-hmm. specifically video games. It, there were also you know retro computers. There were also uh, plenty of pinball machines. All the pinball machines you could want. Um, I went in there with a mission to fi- to play a specific pinball machine that I had grown accustomed to 
in the late 90s in my hometown's bowling alley. And lo and behold, there it was. That pinball machine not only was there, but it was for sale. Yep. <laughs> uh, I didn't buy it because yep. it would have been more than my car. Yeah. But, um, and, and on top of that, there were uh, what I consider to be celebrity guests. Um, yeah, right. Um, so there wouldn't be celebrities to, to everybody, but... Um, and you'll have to forgive me, I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but the, the creator of the uh, cartoon Darkwing Duck. Uh, Tad Stones. Tad yes, Stones. Tad Stones. Yes, he was there. He was very nice. Um, there was also a gentleman who uh, created a, a, a arcade console game that, not console, an arcade cabinet game that I really, really uh, enjoyed when I was out of college. Um, yeah, so there was people who I never thought in a million years that I would be able to meet and talk to about their creations. Yeah. Uh, but there they were in front of me. Um, it was, th- th- they were people who were kind, uh, generous with their time, um, mm-hmm. friendly as all get out. It it was everything that I could have hoped it would be and, and then some. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that. I'm so glad to hear you say that. That uh, b- because that was like my initial reaction on my first one, I was just like, oh my god, like there's so much here. Well, what do I do? True. <laughs> uh, it- it's very overwhelming. Yeah, there was uh, that one the room time. of the convention center hall that was um, the old computers and, right. co- and video game systems. It's kind of like almost a museum portion, yeah, but it was interactive, yeah, like, like, interactive museum. For yeah. the most part, you could you could play all the play with the computers and the consoles and and everything that was out on display. Mm. Um, but the rest of that giant convention center space was free play, arcade cabinets, and pinball machines. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't mean a couple or a couple dozen, hundreds. Yes. Hundreds of video games all turned up as loud as they can go. So it was arcade cabinets and pinball machines, and there was flashing lights from all of these games, yeah. and there were... It, it was... I had a blast, but there was definitely for me a sense of sensory overload at the end of the day. Like yes. my brain was telling me, "You can't handle any more beeps and flashing lights. Uh, your head is going to explode." Yeah, and and that was it. Wasn't like I don't mean to say for a moment I did enjoy myself. It was just I had a blast the entire time. I simply could tell when I was ready to be done. Yes, yes. Well, that's what you go to the panels for afterwards. Exactly, yeah. Is that the, you know the panels are. They don't have those big uh, loud noises. It's just people talking. So you could just go sit and listen listen to some enlightening conversation or or lectures. And the panels were fabulous. Yes, the, they were. The people that they have there knew their stuff. The the, the moderators of the panels really did a nice job, and uh, they were professional. Well, but at the same time, everything was fun and accessible, and it it, it never devolved into um, a lecture in the weeds about the nitty gritty. It was always yeah. about uh, the community experience and and how. These stories and um, and anecdotes conveyed themselves to to the gaming community, and yeah. it was just it was just great. Yeah, it was never they were never dry. They were always uh, right. they were exuberant, uh, uh, fun, lots of fun. Yes, they were. They never devolved into a lecture. They were always exuberant and and celebratory and fun. Yeah, good. Well, well said. Well, uh, my thoughts for this convention, though, because um, you know this is my sixth one. Um, let's see. I thought it was uh, improved over last year. Last year was their first time in this space, uh, in this in the Wisconsin Center, and when I uh, last year it felt a little empty. Uh, it was it didn't feel filled out. I guess is the way to put it. And 
this year I feel like they made much better use of the space. I feel like the arcade machines were sort of spread out more along the floor. I feel like there was still some open space in the market, in the in the uh, vendor hall. Like, right. that could have been used a little bit better. Um, especially when you looked over and saw like all the board games and stuff. That that, that, that felt empty. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, and of course, I can't wait for next year. Uh, <laughs> oh my word! <clears throat> so yeah, I, I I figure you know let's go through this like as though we're taking a uh, uh, beginning to end tour. Uh, so we start with the arcade room, and uh, and we we start I guess with the museum. Right. Uh, uh, was there anything that you played in the museum that you really enjoyed that 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 stuck out to you? There were a, a number of different machines there that. Um, and I'm terrible with remembering the, the specific names and model numbers of the machines, and, and that's that's probably going to be where you'll fill in the gaps, Nate. Yeah. But I played Donkey Kong on more machines than I ever thought possible. <laughs> yeah. I played, <laughs> I played probably half a dozen variations of Pong while uh, I was yeah. there. Um, I I observed every possible variation of Pac-Man that I think I could have conceived of before before I got to Wisconsin, and then and then some. Yeah. So no, it was fantastic. I really, really enjoyed myself. In terms of the specific makes and models of the machines, I'm truly awful in that respect, and I don't, yeah. I, I don't have a great. Well, handle the, there's on so it. many. Oh right. And and if you don't already know them offhand, how could you ever expect to memorize them by the right. end of that day? Yes, that day was not a day for filing information away in your long term memory. It mm-hmm. was for uh, playing as many games as possible, truly enjoying yourself, and trying not to uh, develop epilepsy with all the flashing lights. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, I believe one of the machines we played it on was someone brought their uh, Tandy Color Computer 3. Uh, that I, I had a good conversation with the fellow whose machine it was. We got to talk a little bit about that. Um, I think I was there for that conversation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, th- there were so many cool machines there. Someone brought a video brain, which is like the only time I've ever seen a video brain. It's this obscure computer from the late 70s, I think. Um, I saw a TI-99-4A, which is... Uh, I mean, nominally, it's a 16-bit computer, but it it's, for all intents and purposes, it's an 8-bit computer, but it was running Dragon's Lair. And by that, I don't mean Dragon's Lair like, um, like the NES port, which is sort of like, oh, if we turn this into a normal video game. No, no, no. They actually did like the whole full-motion video thing in 8-bit video of Dragon's Lair. Now, when you say it was, it, what was this called? A TI? TI-99. As in created or by it. Texas Instruments? Correct. Mm-hmm. Holy smokes! Yeah, uh huh. That that was their uh, hat in the ring. Yeah, the, the, in the, the graph, the, the graphing calculator company. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that that was their hat in the ring at the time because every electronics manufacturer had something cooked up. Right. Uh, TR ninety nine was okay. It, it it has some cool stuff on it. Mm-hmm. Um, notably, it was um, it was uh, their spokesman was Bill Cosby. That's all I'll say about that. And yeah, <laughs> and uh, but yeah, I, I got to see that with with Dragon Slayer. Let's see what what else did I get to play with? I played with a lot of uh, PC Engine or Turbo Graphics, if you will. Um, people had brought their uh, their their PC Engine CD machines, and that was that was why it, it gave me a hunger for a PC Engine. I was I, I started looking at eBay as soon as I got home. I was like, okay, how much would this cost me? Oh, eighty bucks for the slim model. Oh, yeah. Uh, and if I want to play CD games, how much will that cost me? $400. Oh, boy. Yikes. Um, I think it'll be emulation for me for the time being. Of course. Um, unless uh, I, l- I luck into a machine or something. 
or one of you dear listeners, if you happen to have a PC Engine Turbo Duo, or perhaps uh, you know a PC Engine and and its CD component. Uh, please talk to me. We'll work out a deal. Or maybe you can just give one to me because you're so nice. Yes. Anyway, if you have this this machine and a generous spirit, contact uh, Nathaniel Lockhart. That's right. That's right. Um, uh, may I interject with one yeah, thing? Uh-huh. Well, why don't you explain to the the nice people at home what the theme of the weekend was? Because there was a theme. Was the, there? there? Yeah. There was a theme. Uh, pinball. What was no, the theme? The thirtieth anniversary of the Game Boy. Oh gosh, yes. That was the that was the whole thing. It, oh, I I didn't realize that was like con wide. Yeah, oh. that was. I mean, some of the panels were about. that. Oh yeah, a lot of the panels were about that. Yeah. Um, we yeah yeah. The, the, uh, oh, you know what? It was a celebration of the Game Boy. Yes, and people had their Game Boy cameras out all over the place. Yeah, we talked to one guy. I think we talked to one guy in line for subs. Yeah, who um, had his Game Boy camera hooked up to Wi-Fi so he could take pictures and upload them to the internet yes. with his Game Boy camera. <laughs> How cool is that? Um, yeah, 30th anniversary of the Game Boy, which I don't think there were any Game Boys in the museum portion. Did you see that? Maybe Super Game Boy was hooked there up. There was, I think there was um, a Super Game Boy hooked up inside of a, a cabinet. Yeah, with with like a Super Nintendo or whatever. Right. Super Famicom, yeah. Right, because otherwise it would have just been really difficult to display that and have people play. But there yeah. was there were a number of different panels that highlighted um, the Game Boy specifically, well, or specific Game Boy games. Well, sure. Before you get to that, though, I do want to say one of the other things I saw at the at this museum portion oh, I'm sorry. was a ZX Spectrum. Really? Which, if you don't know what that is, folks, uh, ZX Spectrum was a computer that was very popular in Britain in, but it uh, and in other parts of Europe, but it never came out here. It was a juggernaut. It was like the video game machine to own, especially in the UK. Uh, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of games uh, that came out for it. It defined the era of video games over there, but uh, we never got one. And this person brought their ZX Spectrum with them. It, it, it's great. It's it's about the size of a videotape. And it has these little rubbery keys that uh, are very mushy, but I have a lot of affection for them. And a little rainbow stripe in one of the corners. It just it looks so 80s and so cool. Uh, and it's so small and it's so simple. But I talked to uh, Ben Heckendorn about his ZX Spectrum and about why you should care about it. So I'm going to throw to that real quick right now. I'm here in the uh, bit build room here at the Midwest Gaming Classic, and uh, I'm here with a uh, with a uh, luminary of the internet world when it comes to electronics and and hacking and building things. I'm here with a uh, Mr. Ben Heckendorn, and he is currently looking at and inspecting his 8-bit computer that he's working on. But I thought it would be fun if instead of uh, just talking about any old thing, uh, he brought with him his ZX Spectrum. And we wanted to talk about why. Uh, I just I just wanted to to bring in someone else besides myself to mention why Americans should give a darn about the ZX Spectrum. Can you tell <laughs> us about what uh, what what your projects have been with it and and what your fascination is with the machine? Uh, yeah, sure. So I think the first one I ever saw was a Timex Spectrum, which was the American version of the ZX81, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found one of those at a junk store like long ago, like twenty or thirty years ago. Yeah. I don't know what happened to it. I don't know if it was my mom's house or something. But anyway, uh, so then later on, you know, I, I learned more about the ZX Spectrum. And uh, like 2014, I was, we were planning a trip to England, so I thought it'd be mm-hmm. cool to 
when I was doing the show, do a project where I would take one apart and make a, of course, portable version of it. It's already pretty small, but uh, I basically, just like this thing you see here, I hand-soldered pretty much the whole thing in a breadboard and made it smaller, like using modern RAM, uh, you know, modern, you know, modern components. That way you don't need the uh, refresh of the Z80 because if the RAM is modern, uh, static RAM. Yeah, and so I did that, and then I've built a couple of them since, but I just think it's a really fascinating computer because it's so amazingly cheap. Yes, yes. And I don't think people... And simple, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, well, simple because it's cheap. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it has, like, some genius cheapness to it, uh-huh. and I think that's really fascinating because, uh, yeah, back then it was important because, you know, people... Well, in America, obviously we didn't have that, but it, that doesn't mean it wasn't important in other places. Right. So, like, computer history or video game history is different depending on what region you're in. Mm-hmm. And uh, Europe and uh, the UK is a lot different than America. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's kind of interesting, and also that people know the history of it, so they don't think that, you know, Apple invented everything, which they, right. of course, yes. didn't. No, 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 not at all. I mean, I, I remember uh, when I was a teenager picking up a, a mag, uh, old school, no, Retro Gamer Magazine, which okay. is a UK publication, and they all talked about the ZX Spectrum and that uh, was their that was their, their computer. BBC Micro, and I was like, what? What, what are these things? You know? <laughs> and it's a whole other universe of video games. But uh, but yeah, folks, check out a ZX Spectrum. Ben Heck told you to, right? Yeah, I, yeah. it's it's pretty cool. I mean, yeah. it runs on PAL format, so right. They are a pain in the butt to get working in the States. Not really. You okay. just need a 9-volt DC power supply. All right. And any modern LCD will take will run both PAL or NTSE. Right. So it's right. actually not that difficult to okay. find a screen and, that will work with it. And PAL in color? And yeah, it's in color. Yep. Okay, yeah. Because I know that there have been certain NTSC modifications that would only render it black and white, but... Right, because uh, the subcarrier works yeah, differently on this. Yeah. And it's a different frequency, too. You know what? And... and I think a lot of people's trouble back in the day was trying to use a CRT with it, which is just, uh, I can't imagine the nightmare of trying to get a ZX Spectrum to working with an NTSC CRT. Well, like that yeah. PVM behind me, that one takes PAL and NTSC, yeah. so maybe even takes CCAM. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, if you get like a little LCD, like a cheapy LCD from like yeah. Amazon, yeah. pretty much all those that I've come across, they auto-tune to PAL or yeah. NTSC. Mm-hmm. So now it's just software in, in the chip, so that's it's pretty easy. Oh yeah. Well, your uh, your, your show has uh, since concluded uh, with element fourteen. Just uh, tell us real quick where we find you. What are you doing these days? Yeah. Well, if you go on YouTube and look for Ben Hack Hacks, I yeah. renamed my old existing channel into Ben Hack Hacks, and yeah. I have been doing some videos on there. I don't do it with a regular schedule because I got sure. tired of doing. I can imagine scheduled videos yeah. like that. But <laughs> don't blame um, you. I'm still making yeah. some stuff on there, so yeah. if you want to see what I'm up to, that's the place to check it out. Or Twitter, I'm Ben Heck, yeah. and of course, BenHeck.com. All right. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to talk with me here today. Oh, no problem. Yeah, thank you. Okay, we're back. Um, yeah, I just wanted to get that out of the way before we moved on to, to other parts. So the next part of this tour that, that we're on, we go to uh, the arcade proper. Yes. So, so we're in the arcade proper right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. Um, and uh, like you said, there's a lot of games. Uh, Stern usually shows up and shows off a new machine that, they, that, uh, that they've been working on. Last year it was Iron Maiden. This year was Willy Wonka. I didn't get around to playing it, but uh, I didn't. it looked it, cool. It seemed like there was a really big Munsters push from Stern this year. 
Yeah. Which that's a cool game too. Yeah. I oh, like absolutely. The but there, there was a number of Munsters games, and they had like a table with Munsters like memorabilia on and whatnot. Yeah. And it was it was a really cool cool cabinet. Yes, it was. Um, and apparently, the guy who played uh, Eddie Munster was there, like at some point. I don't know if it was Saturday or Friday, but he was there. Cool. Uh, not that I would have ever gotten close to him, but you know, same thing with Sven Gulli when he shows up. Like, there's such a line around to go see him that I just never. I'd rather just play video games. I'll see. I'll see him when he's on TV. Right. Um, uh, usually, when I go to the arcade, that's my mission to just play every mechanical machine that there is. I love my electromechanical pinballs, as I mentioned on this podcast in the past. So uh, I played most of them. They did not have my favorite this year. They did not have Aztec, which uh, you know, maybe a little sad. But there's so much else that you know, it's all right. I'll be okay. <laughs> Um, and I don't usually tend to play a lot of video games when I'm in the arcade. No, for me it was I found myself really gravitating toward the pinball machines. Mm-hmm. And as far as the video arcade cabinets, I really, um, yeah, no, I didn't find myself gravitating toward those. Mm. I know Zelensky played played a lot of spent his, a lot of his time playing video game cabinets. Um, namely, uh, he was telling me he was really fixated on the Mortal Kombat uh, on on the Mortal Kombat machine. Um, he told me about how uh, how he was playing for a little bit, and like someone came up with challenges, like "Oh, I'm not very good," and then proceeded to wipe the floor with him, and then <laughs> and then he just left out of boredom, I guess. But I don't know. This is this is Seth telling me, telling you. So, uh, out of his own words, he was not very good at the game. <laughs> but yeah, um, we played one uh, one of the games that we played was what was it called? I think it was called Bride of Pinbot. Yes. Machine, which was just a trippy experience of a pinball game. Oh, my and I word. I loved it. Everything, loved it. Everything in that machine was chrome. Yeah. There were flashing lights. There was a there was a, a narrative story arc yeah. to this pinball game. Yeah. And you had to move through the story by completing certain uh, ob- objectives within the game. And it, it really it felt like an experience to, yeah. to play this machine. Yeah. It, l- less a game and more like an art an art exhibit or something right like, you know there's flashing lights and what what basically you're doing is like you're building this uh robot and so the first thing you have to do is is get the uh the uh the ball into her mouth in which case like she like everything lights up and he's and then you hear i can speak and you're just like ah and, <laughs> and you have an eerie voice yeah and your next objective is um all of a sudden the face that had the open mouth hole that kind of rotates and now the mouth is complete but the eyes are holes that you try to get the ball just into big gaping holes that and then once you can compl- once you complete that i would imagine she would say something like i can see we, yeah. we didn't get that far there. yeah no we never got that far but still like i, I would love to just watch a video of a playthrough of that game just to see what it's like. Yeah, we <laughs> want to know. I didn't discover that machine with Nate, and I'm sure you knew it, what it was and where it was before I did. But yeah, it wasn't until that. like late the second day that I kind of came across that machine. Mm. And had I known about it earlier, I would have spent a fair amount of time with it. Yeah, all mm-hmm. weekend because man, oh man, that was just. It's an experience. Yeah, it stuck with me. Yeah, I, I still think about it sometimes. Like where, like just those flashing lights and. Ah oh, man, it's a it's a very pretty machine. Very expensive, very pretty. I'm trying to think of any other games that that stuck out to me in the arcade. Well, uh, we there were two that I mean, oh, the Monday Night Football. Game. Yes, the ABC Monday Night Football game that mm-hmm. touted uh, 
um, Dan Deardorff, Frank Gifford, and um, oh shoot, what's the other guy's name? Al Michaels. Al Michaels. Yeah, uh, as the three hosts, and it was ABC's Monday Night Football, not ESPN, obviously. Right. Uh-huh. Um, on the the little you know, L, uh, not even LED screen. Uh, yeah, like the seven-digit display. Right. Know, seven-digit display. It was flashing out the lyrics to, <laughs> to uh, Are You Ready for Some Football? Yeah. Well, like well, like a little chiptune version of it played in the background. Right. Man, that oh, game man. was fun. You, you got yards for for completing certain events, and you got to get a touchdown after a while, and then when, once you did that, a ramp came up that allowed you to launch the ball through a set of uprights, and if so, that was your extra point. Yeah. Just a cool game. Yeah. I, I think Nate and I probably played... At least half a dozen games, yeah. and it was it was just a hoot. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty great. Uh, I, I love that it gives you pinball points. You know, like your normal like you know hundred points for hitting the bumper, whatever. But it also gave you a set of football points. Yeah. So like it kept track of like how many touchdowns you had scored and all that kind of stuff. And it man, it, it what what a cool game that was. Most pinball games will allow for two players. Yeah. This game was better with two oh, players. Oh, it, it begs for it. Right. It begs for it. Uh, the, the one thing I will say though, uh, that I wish I wish they had thought of this when they were making it, but you still only have three balls per game. Mm-hmm. It should have been four, right, one four per quarter. Yes, <laughs> that's what it should have been. But uh, missed opportunities. That's all right. Game's still pretty great. Sure, I really like it. Anything with uh, Frank Gifford emblazoned on the front of it. <laughs> yes, of course, <laughs> it's good. Good for me. And I really enjoyed the uh, the uh, Sylvester Stallone uh, Demolition Man yeah. pinball machine. Yeah. That was that was a lot of fun. And there's nothing specific about. I don't know. I've never seen the movie Demolition Man, and I've I don't know the intellectual property behind it. But that it was just a, a really solid, fun pinball machine. And there were dozens and dozens more. Uh, but that that whole arcade area was just. I I could have spent weeks there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's a lot to take in. Um, you kind of just have to pick and choose. Just be like, all right, I, I guess I'm going to hit this, and I'm going to hit this, and maybe I'll do this too. Sure. And you just, uh, yeah, there's no way to, to get to everything. There's just no way. Even though um, even though it wasn't in the arcade area, can I take a second and talk about the pinball machine that I fixated on? Oh, yes, please. So this pinball machine wasn't located in the arcade proper. It was downstairs in one of the... It was actually in the room where they were selling pinball machine parts. Yeah. So if you had a pinball machine of your own that was in need of repair, you can buy uh, bumpers and you know electronic components and even the the actual metallic pinballs themselves, mm-hmm. which they're about three bucks. They're not expensive. They're mm-hmm. actually neat to have one of. You should have bought a couple. I should have. Yeah. But they had what I was looking for there. They had the Star Trek: The Next Generation pinball machine. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a kid growing up in. Uh, in West Seneca, New York, we had a bowling alley in West Seneca that had the Star Trek The Next Generation pinball machine in the bowling alley. And uh, and when I was a, I think a junior or senior in high school, they were getting rid of the machine and they said, we're selling the machine $400. And I, man, and, and, oh I and I was 16, 17 years old. I didn't have $400. I just yeah. didn't have it. And so that opportunity went, went past me. Yeah. Um, and I, but I loved playing that game. So I find it at the Midwest Gaming Classic. There it is in all its glory in front of me. I probably played two or three dozen games yeah. on that machine. <laughs> uh, to the point where I think I was annoying the people who brought it with them because they had it for sale there. Yeah. And they were charging, and, and they, they were not gouging. This is just what it's worth. Mm-hmm. And it, it, they were charging $4,200. Yep. And it it pained me to, to think that I could have had it. 
and I let mm. it slip through my fingers. Yeah. But um, you could have had it and it would have appreciated it in value. Oh, oh yes, one hundred percent. But mm-hmm. that that game is just. Uh, I like the intellectual property of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Obviously, if you know anything about me from previous episodes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it's uh, man, oh man, it 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 was it's just such a fun fun pinball machine to play, and uh, I, I enjoyed it immensely. I love that there's a part in it where the the ball comes down and you can it goes into a launcher and you can shoot the the pinball out towards targets. Yes, yeah, with a little turret. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. That's a it, it is a cool uh, machine. I, I like the modes that it has, and you could zap all the bad guys and stuff. Let's see. If we move from the arcade slash museum area, the next point would be the vendor hall. Right. A lot of the vendors uh, were the same for the previous years. Um, I feel like that there was less stuff that I wanted to buy than usual in terms of, well, there was just less for me there. There's always the same amount of NES games, uh, Super NES games, all that kind of stuff. Uh, this year, I, I'm always on the lookout for old computer stuff. Sure. And, um, and uh, Atari 7800 was something because I recently, I got one last summer, so I've been looking for more games for that. Uh, they had a few. I bought a couple. Um, let's see. The, well, what else was it? Famicom. I'm always on the lookout for Famicom games. They were next to none this year, which was super surprising. Sure. Uh, usually, there's a guy who comes in who just has like bins of them, and you know you could poke through and find some cool stuff. But this year, it was uh, Slim Pickens on the Famicom. Right. Um, they had the uh, Retrotainment games there. Um, which uh, I guess I'll throw to an interview with them in a little bit. Uh. Well, we'll come back to that, but uh, I, I got a game from them. I, I got a Famicom cartridge from them. A brand new Famicom cartridge, mind you. Yes. Of a game called Haunted Halloween, which is really fun. It's sort of a platformer beat-em-up with uh, like an 80s horror motif. Mm-hmm. Uh, really cool game. A lot of fun. Um, they were also showing off their new game, which uh, you'll hear about. Actually, you know what? Yeah, let's pull, pull to it real quick. Uh, here's Retrotainment Games talking about their new game that should be out shortly. Hey everybody, I'm here at the Midwest Gaming Classic in Milwaukee, and I am at the booth where uh, they have the Haunted Halloween set up uh, for games, games retrotainment, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. retrotainment games, yeah, that's, that's, that's what we go games. Yep. There we go. Yep. And uh, Haunted Halloween has been a sort of a mainstay of the Midwest Gaming Classic. You see always the big standees. It's it, it's had quite a uh, successful stay here. You guys sell a lot of cards here. We do, yeah, we do pretty uh, good here. This is uh, we love this the, the convention goers here. This is this is our people here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And to here uh, today or this weekend, you've brought us a work in progress. Correct. Can you please tell us about this new game? This seems to be a little bit more uh, in-depth than perhaps uh, anything that you guys have done before for the system. Sure, it's way more in-depth um, yeah. game-wise. Just the d- overall design of the game. It's called Full Quiet. It's an open world. It's like a mystery adventure game. So you're going to go around, you're going to shoot enemies, but you got to solve puzzles and figure out something has taken your son, you venture off into the forest to find out what, what it was. The, the, the controls are, are very different. I mean, the, you know, there's there's crouching, there's there's different ways you can angle your gun, there's a big map, there's north, south, east, west. Yeah. Uh, what what is the uh, inspiration that you took from this game? Like, like what what do you what, what sort of game uh, do you hope to make? Like, emphasize adventure elements, action? Yeah, action, and, there will be action and adventure, but puzzle solving and exploration. We want people to, to learn the world that we built. It's a, 
a 3D world and you get a top-down map. So the the cardinal coordinates may they matter north south east west we have lookout points where you can orient yourself so you know what part of the world you're in mm -hmm. and uh yeah we hope people that people learn the world and want to explore it and try to figure out uh where the secrets are that's awesome uh i i know that a lot of uh, nes adventure games of the era had a tendency to be a bit uh esoteric uh <laughs> not exactly uh, an opaque i guess is another word for it okay uh do you hope to, are, are you going to try to play into that spirit or are you trying to sort of get a bit more, more, more of a friendlier modern edge to friendlier it? yeah definitely yeah. Um, yeah. we have a couple a couple options for how we can do that in the game uh, the yeah. easiest being that uh, the guy's pap the main character's his father uh, who we just call him pap uh, he leaves notes for you to sort of help guide you through some of the missions that you have to do to unlock different parts of the world. So it's not going to be completely obtuse like some of these games are that you you were talking about. Yeah. Uh, it should make more sense. If we do our job, it'll make sense. Okay, good, <laughs> good. Because <laughs> I know that's something usually you think of NES Adventure games and think of like, oh God, Goonies 2. Right, yeah, right. You know. And we might leave a few things in there that are not critical that you were not really going to hint at. You just have to find them on your own. And, but and, the main and, but game they give you a reward nonetheless. Yes, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But of not something critical but but yeah. that's just for people who want to really explore and try yeah. to find things uh, but the main walk through the game will should make sense to you yeah I also want to talk a little bit about the aesthetic here it almost looks like sort of a uh, like an 80s like a uh, swamp thing kind of thing going on can you oh. tell us about like what what your uh at, like, uh, what, what made you choose like a swamp and swamp creatures and all this? Yeah, so this is just one area that's in the game, and okay. there's ni there's nine different areas in oh, the game. Oh, okay. So okay. this is just part of the forest. So, like, you venture out into the woods, you start on a plateau, you make your way down some cliff sides, uh, and down into the swamp, mm -hmm. and then back through a dense part of the forest, a bridge, and it's so there's there's different places. You're just seeing a little excerpt here for oh, this okay. demo. Oh, cool. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I I love the the artwork done. Thanks. Uh, it's. Uh, Top notch, and very atmospheric. Yeah, and that's what we're, what we're trying to yeah. trying to capture there. A little, little weird, a little uh, mysterious, you know. And we, yeah. we hope that that translates. Yeah, and you can probably hear even the music a little bit in the background, hopefully, because that's great music that really matches the mood of the of the game. Cool, cool, yeah, uh, yeah. So, but thank you very much for uh, for uh, talking with me. Can you tell us again? Uh, what, what the name is and where people can find you. Yeah, so it's called the game is called Full Quiet. I'm Greg from Retrotainment Games. Uh, RetrotainmentGames.com is where you can find us. We're on Facebook, Twitter, whatever. All right, great. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. So yeah, that was really cool, and I got a I I got a game from them. Like I said. Um, Why don't you tell them about think? the uh, about the uh, William Shatner themed game you didn't buy? Oh yeah, there's um. Uh, the 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 Pie Factory table was there like always. Pie Factory podcast, um, which is a really great podcast if you like old video game arc video arcade games. Uh, they do two video games per podcast and they review it and give it a score and they're just lots of fun to listen to. So I got to talk to those guys for a little bit, a bit them before. But the hand with them, uh, his uh his his username on Atari age is Franco Dragon. I don't remember his uh, his actual name, but he had his homebrews with him. His Atari seventy eight hundred homebrews, of which I bought one. Uh, Roof Pooper was the <laughs> title of it. Uh, he also had his other games. He had like one thing called like Crazy Tanks or something, and he also had one which had William Shatner on the cover of it. It was bending down in a certain thing, and it was called Shatneroids. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I kind of regret not picking that up. Yeah. I should have picked that up. 
that was, uh, that was pretty funny. Um, but uh, but yeah, I got roof pooper from from Franco Dragon. I haven't tried it yet. Uh, my seventy eight hundred is sitting right there, but uh, I, I've yet yet to uh, yet to fire it up. So so that was there. I'm trying to think of it. Is there anything else to mention? Are you talking about the vendors? Yeah, talking about the vendors. Anything else stick out to you? No, I, I had a I had a blast looking through some of the the vendor stuff. I, um, it really was a celebration of nerd, nerd culture there. So it wasn't mm-hmm. everything wasn't exclusively video game based. There yeah. there were a lot of other interests. There were people selling shirts. There were people mm-hmm. selling selling games and cartridges and 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 whatnot. There were people um, selling artwork. Artwork, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, there I was surprised. There was actually a couple different tables where people were selling their custom made. Very elaborate perler bead creations. Yes, and, um, and a very elaborate. As very well. elaborate. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's not the mm. kind of thing that my kids are making uh, <laughs> at home. This, these are works of art. Yeah. Um, I like some are three dimensional. Sure. Yeah. There were a there was one game in the particular I was looking for, and like you said, I just it was it's a it's a somewhat hard to get your hands on game, and I just couldn't I just couldn't locate it. Yeah. It was a um, Metal Gear Solid for the Game Boy Color. Oh yeah. I wasn't able to find that, but. That's okay. It's it's not the kind of thing that you expect to just stumble upon. No, um, no. I, I enjoyed it. There was there were tons and tons and tons of vendors. I actually spent quite a bit of time in the in the vendor area, mm-hmm. looking for souvenirs to bring home for my family. Mm-hmm. Um, they I, had like stuffed toys and stuff like that. They did. Uh, I actually ended up bringing home. Um, there, there was a vendor there that had these um, plastic pokeballs yeah. that were about the size of maybe about the size of a grapefruit once they were closed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I brought them home for my kids, ages three and five, and they have not yet stopped playing with these things. <laughs> they think they are That's the greatest hear. things in the world. That's good to they hear. They were two for five dollars. Yep. And I bought two, and you would think I I came home with bricks of gold for each of them. They just <laughs> can't get enough of them. That's funny. Um, but no, it, it, there was all sorts of neat stuff there. I there's I would, a cosplay table. Yes, there was a cosplay table. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, the only surprise I had, and this is by, like I said, this is not a criticism mm-hmm. whatsoever, but if it was, um, Star Wars was very well represented there. Mm-hmm. Um, I I was shocked at how non-existent the representation was for Star Trek, which oh, yeah. it, which is I, I mean I'm not like I don't dislike Star Wars. I'm indifferent to Star Wars. It just didn't grab me. Yeah. It just I, it never connected with me. But Star Trek connects with me in just about every incarnation of that franchise. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, I'm going to get myself a Star Trek hoodie, or I'm going to find myself a, a poster, or I'm going to get myself some Star Trek merch. I'm in a Trekkie kind of mood. L- or let's go. Mm-hmm. Um, and there there wasn't there wasn't much of anything to speak of in terms of Star Trek. So that was Not my really, no. that was my only my only. Uh, uh, surprise! I, I, I wouldn't say I was disappointed because they they owed me nothing in terms of. Well, you did get that Star, uh, Star Trek coloring book there for your wife. I did, yeah. My, yeah. I got my wife a Star Trek: The Next Generation adult coloring book, yeah. and uh, it just happened to be on one of the tables, and and it, uh, it just jumped out at me, and I I didn't think twice. I picked it up and said, "I I can I give you money for this?" And he said, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> Somebody bought your book. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, so we moved from there to the vendor area. Well, unless we want to talk about our pickups real quick. You, you said you bought your uh, Pokeballs and your little Pokemon to go with them yep. and the Star Trek coloring book. Star Trek coloring book. Did you pick up anything else for them at... Uh... I picked up some, some tiny plastic Pokemon that would go in the poke, in, in the Pokeballs. Yeah. And you got records when we were in Chicago. In Chicago, on yes. On the way to Milwaukee. Yes. I 
passed up buying a game that I ended up buying online on the way home because I wish I would have bought it at the at the con. <laughs> it's I had it in my hand and I said, No, 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 I'm not gonna get it and then driving home I was like, No, I should have bought it and so I bought it. I'm like And that was it, on brand for me, it was Star Trek: The Next Generation for Game Boy. Cool. Um, I felt like it was Game Boy themed uh, event that I should get uh-huh. something Game Boy related to to commemorate. I think I have, I have two of the brick, the original like big gray brick Game Boys. Mm-hmm. I have two of the the fold 'em up Game Boy Advance. Oh yeah, Game Boy Advance SP. Yeah, those I are have, nice. I have two of the Game Boy Advance SPs. Yeah, um, and I have a uh, Nintendo DS Lite. Yeah, that's nice too. So, I mean, I have yeah. essentially five different ways I could play Game Boy cartridges. Yeah. Um. So I was excited, and it's it's not come in yet, but uh, that will be a souvenir that I will I will have to remember this specific convention by. And like yeah. I said, I wish I would have pulled the trigger and bought it day of, but you know. Those things happen. Decisiveness wasn't with me this week. Yeah, that happens with me. Uh, Quite often I'll go home and just be like, why? why, I should have just bought that. What was I doing? Right. Now I wanted more. Right. Um, I picked up, let's see, uh, like I said, I picked up uh, some Atari 7800 cartridges. Besides Roof Pooper, I picked up Joust and Donkey Kong Jr. for the Atari 7800. I got Yoshi's Cookie for the Famicom. I got, uh, like I said before, Halloween Adventure 86 for the Famicom. And I got a couple books, which, uh, well, maybe we'll talk about that when we get to the panels we saw. But I got some a couple books from Chris Kohler. One was Powered Up, which is a book about uh, how the Japanese video game industry revolutionized, you know, video games as a whole. Mm-hmm. And sort of brought it back to prominence, especially in the States. And another one was about Final Fantasy V, uh, not, you know, not a junior novelization uh, or Worlds of Power, as he will say in the interview, um, but uh, talking about its impact uh, and uh, kind of where its place is in America and sort of how that how you can chart the history of emulators and 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 hacking and and fan communities through that one game. Uh, really cool book. I'm very excited to dig into it. But uh, but those are, that's all I picked up this year. Um, so we move from there to, let's say we go downstairs, right? Mm. Go downstairs. Right. We just left to the vendor area. Sure did. Uh, let's go to the panel rooms. And that is where we saw panels. It is. The end. No, what panels did we see? We saw a panel put together by the Video Game History Foundation. Mm-hmm. Frank Cifaldi, uh, that that's his uh, his joint that, that he has going on. That they are uh, they are hard at work preserving uh, uh, not just video games, but but uh, documents, paper, magazines, um, you know, memos. Yeah, internal uh, internal documents from the video game companies. Right, right. To to really kind of preserve. Not just because we have the games, you know. Mm-hmm. This is about, you know, deeper than that. Um, so yeah, he talked to Howard Phillips, whose name uh, should be familiar to you Nintendo fans out there. Someone who uh, was a big name at Nintendo f- from the early '80s up until uh, the early '90s. I think he was he was with uh, the company. And just talking about his experiences there, working in the Nintendo warehouse in the early 80s. Uh, yeah. 
a butter sculpture of Donkey Kong. <laughs> right. That that was kind of a bizarre detail that I still kind of wish they would have fleshed out a little bit. Yeah. But they just had him at a party, and then he said, yeah, and then we put him up top in the warehouse just to keep him there, and we kept him there for over a year. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, gross. He, he didn't start to smell. I'm like, oh, well, that's a ringing endorsement. Yeah. <laughs> but I was actually familiar with Howard a little bit because I had read, um, years ago, I had read a book called Game Over, Press Start to Continue um, by David Sheff. Mm-hmm. And, Seminal book. Oh, my yeah. goodness. It, it, and that was more of a a book talking about the business history of Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Like their business practices, how they became dominant, the the tactics they used for better or worse to um, to become the video game juggernaut they were in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, and so I had heard Howard spoken of in that book. And so it was really nice to... I didn't you know meet him or talk to him. I just I saw him at the panel. And I, I probably could have met him if I, if I had really... Uh, put in the time, but yeah, uh, but it was really just nice to sit in on a panel that where he was there and he was there to kind of flesh out some of the details from a different angle and a different perspective. So mm-hmm. it was a story I already knew, kind of, but I could see that story from a different perspective, and it was enlightening. And I just had a blast. He's a very personable guy. He's very he really is. He sat for a long time and took guy. questions. He went to the Nintendo Age room to play the new NES homebrews and yeah. and play test them and. Uh, yeah, he was really he was a genial guy, and he's the one who's donating documents and memos and um, mm. brochures and paperwork from Nintendo. Like th- this is information that the Video Game History Foundation would have never got their hands on. Which he said in the panel, in turn, was because his mom saved them because yes. she was so proud of her little Howard. Yes, <laughs> she, she saved kept all these things. Yeah, she saved every newspaper clipping, everything he ever yeah. wrote, every magazine. Like so, she kind of hoarded it all. Yeah, and then he uh, took retook possession of that those things and was able to donate them to this uh, historical effort. And and just what a cool story! It's just so amazing. I I I love to hear stories like that. Um, we also let's see if one of the other panels. Oh, there was one short one that we went to go see about uh, the 40 year anniversary of Hayankyo Alien. Mm-hmm. Which, if you're a regular Retronauts listener, you probably know what that game is by now. All right. But uh, it's a game virtually unknown in, in the United States. But uh, it was a pretty, it was a big deal in Japan, and it influenced a lot of games that came afterwards, namely uh, Pac Man. And uh, Space Panic and Load Runner, it it, it 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 left a mark. It left a mark that that we were n- uh, not privy to for a long time. Uh, so it, we saw that, and they were talking about how there is a port of it on Steam that's actually pretty good. Yeah, that looks really good. And they they were like, it's on Steam for like three bucks. Go download it. It's like thirteen bucks. Yeah. So (laughs) yeah, come on. I'm not Jeremy Parrish. I'm not made of money. Exactly. Right. Uh, So (laughs) I got bills to pay. I got mouths to feed. But uh, it does seem really interesting. Mm -hmm. I have that added to my wish list. In one of these days, uh, I I have this fantasy that one day I'll like have to be I'll I'll be sick enough to be quarantined, but not so sick that I can't enjoy myself. Yeah. And and during and during that magic window i will play all the games i'd like i i do not have time to play right now and that is for sure on my list it it just sounds like such an interesting game yeah yeah it it really does especially like a pac-man dx version ish of it you know that uh, speeds it up and all that kind of stuff yeah that that sounds really fascinating uh i also went to see the retronauts panel i don't know if you did Did i did i was with you on the retronauts panel uh oh the uh for, for the game boy were you there because you didn't sit next to me during it oh okay no then i wasn't there yeah um yeah, I, I sat next to uh, I sat next to Brian Clark, uh, who's there. Brian Clark is uh, someone 
He's a really cool guy. You should follow him on Twitter. Um, he does a lot of... Uh, he loves his PC engine, and he loves... Uh, he, he's translating a lot of Famitsu magazines. So he does it. You can follow him on Twitter at bclarkomp. You should check it out. He does cool stuff. I sat with them, and I sat with the Nintendo main guys, uh, uh, which you could follow. Which yeah, It's a great podcast. I've been on it once. Go look it up. Google Nintendo main. You'll find an episode with me, and then you'll get hooked, and you want to listen to all the other episodes. Uh, so, But we, that was a panel for the Retronauts doing the 30th anniversary of the Game Boy. And they talked about the Game Boy as much as you possibly could in 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. It was a it was a great panel featuring Bob Mackey, Jeremy Parrish, Chris Kohler, and Caitlin Oliver, and that was very enjoyable. Um, speaking of which, uh, let's get to that Chris Kohler interview uh, right now. Hey everybody, I'm here at the Midwest Gaming Classic in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I am here with, uh, let's see, how did he describe himself yesterday in the podcast? <laughs> something like a uh, uh, columnist, amateur historian, something along those lines. <laughs> right, yeah, Anyways, yeah. please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Chris Kohler. I'm the features editor at Kotaku, which is a video game website. Uh, yes, I would definitely describe myself as a professional video game uh, you know, journalist, writer, yeah. uh, definitely yes. amateur of all the other things. Because nobody's, <laughs> nobody's paid me for doing history work yet, but, yeah. you know, maybe one day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I know. Uh, I mean, people might be familiar with some of your other work, being on uh, Retronauts, uh, one claim to fame. Uh, also, your book Powered Up, which uh, you brought some copies of. Looks like you're all sold out. I sold out of yeah Power Up, which is the first book that I wrote, which is about Japanese video games. And I did sell all the copies that I brought to the show today, so that's nice. Don't have to don't have to take them back home with me, which is good. That's, yeah, that's very very good. Yeah. Uh, but you also brought with you a new book, yeah. uh, and it's titled Final Fantasy V. Now, despite what that title might uh, in, in, uh, infer, it's not a novelization. Could you please tell us uh, uh, all, all about this new book? Yes, it is not the junior novelization of the game Final Fantasy V, Good. exactly. It's not not uh, Worlds of Power. Right, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Uh, although that would be fun to write. Yeah, um, or like a choose-your-own-adventure. But yeah. no, uh, so basically Boss Fight Books is the publisher. And what Boss Fight Books does is it is uh, books that are each about uh, one video game. And it generally is a game that is very special to the author and, you know, had an impact on their life in some way. Some of them deal with history. Some of them deal with more with the personal story. Mine is definitely 50-50 or about as close to 50-50 as they get. Um, the book really, a lot of it takes place in 1995 when I was 15 years old. That I played Final Fantasy 2 and 3 on the Super Nintendo, which were Final Fantasy 4 and 6. And reading video game magazines at the time realized, well, wait, there's a game in between these. There's Final Fantasy 5 and it didn't come to America. Well, how am I going to get that? Well, you can't go online and order it because that doesn't exist yet. You can't, um, you, you can't download the ROM and play it on an emulator because that doesn't exist yet either. Uh, and so I had to go to the back pages of those magazines and find a dealer that would sell me a Japanese copy of Final Fantasy V, get it home, rip the tabs out of my Super Nintendo, and then it's like, well, uh-oh, I can't read this game. So now I got to learn Japanese if I want to play this game. Um, so that's so it's so it's kind of like that. It's really about talking about that moment in history when, like, if you were a big fan of Japanese stuff uh, in general, living in America, you couldn't really get to very much of it. There weren't very many right. manga in translation for you to read at all. Right. Anime costs fifty dollars or more for one VHS with two episodes on it. Like it was untouchable to to try to get that stuff. And so. 
The other half of the book is a development history of Final Fantasy V, which is my favorite Final Fantasy. Um, it is a brilliant game. Uh, it is, and it is because it took a long time for it to come out in the U.S. It is not as well remembered here as it is in Japan. In Japan, it is considered one of the great games of the series. In Japan, it is often, often called the best game in the whole Final Fantasy series. Here, it's it's way down the list all the time. It's I'm I'm trying to rehab its reputation in the U.S. by okay. talking about just how how brilliant it really is. Um, it was the it was the first game. It wasn't the first game to let you change your characters' jobs on the fly. That was that was the Japanese three, but five let you construct customized characters uh, essentially by this character can be a knight for a while, and then he can be a white mage for a while, and then once he learns white magic, he can go back to being a knight. But he can be a knight who knows white magic, and that's that's kind of that's the basic premise of this. And then the thing is. The system of Final Fantasy V, it is as complicated as you want to make it, basically. If you want to... I mean, the, the classic one is you go be a ranger for a while and you learn the ranger's ability to shoot randomized arrows into a crowd of enemies and do half damage, but you do four arrows. Uh, then you go be a ninja and you learn dual wield. And then you go and um, you, uh, you, 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 the sword magic, there's a sword magician, a sorcerer, who can enchant weapons with magic. So you go and you master all of those jobs, and then you can bring them all together at the end of the game. And what you can do now is enchant your, your dual wielding, so you enchant both your weapons... And then you use the ranger's four random arrows attack, except for it just works with whatever weapons you have, because it all layers on top of each other. And so, if an enemy is weak against thunder, you can enchant your two swords with thunder, and then hit him, hit the guy eight times in one round with thunder three, because you're doing four four hits per weapon with thunder applied. You know, and so that's the that's the brilliance of the Final Fantasy V system it is it is possibly the best system of all of those of all the games yeah and the the game it seems really rewards you for knowing that and for exploiting it yeah for sure yeah yeah. the game wants you to break it the game is saying break me i love it yeah i'm here break me yeah uh, what is the best way to uh, play Final Fantasy V these days? Obviously, it's not for us. It's not uh, to seek uh, a Super Famicom card and break yep. the tabs out of our Super Nintendo. Right. Which, by the way, that's how you uh, that's how you unregion lock your Super Nintendo. Uh, you break the tabs in it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, all you need is a pair of pliers. You can region mod your Super yeah. Nintendo. And if you're too scared to do that, take a Game Genie and break the tabs out of that. Also, also yeah. a good idea. Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the best, my favorite, my preferred way to play Final Fantasy V is Game Boy Advance. Um, okay. the, so the, the first English version of it for the PlayStation 1, they did a really very, very bad translation of it. Yes. Um, and for the Game Boy Advance, they totally retranslated, did it really well. Um, and so that's my preferred way to play it. I just, I, I pop a cartridge into Game Boy Advance, you yeah. know. Is there a uh, DS Port of that as well? There is, is not. It, there isn't. Wow. There's not. No. Surprises. No, and I was hoping so. They brought yeah. the Game Boy versions to the Wii U in Japan, and then I was like, oh, great, maybe they'll release these on the Wii U in the US. They didn't. Of course not. And, no, yeah, of course no, not. Of course why not. not. Why not? But that would, why, that why, would have why, been. Why should we make free money? That would have been. Yeah. I, I, I don't get it. It yeah. would have been amazing. Like, yeah. that would have been. It would have been a really, really great way to play those games. So, yeah. I'd love it if, like, the Game Boy Advance versions of those games were to, say, come to the Switch at some point. Like, that would oh, be yeah. beautiful. That would be the, the way to play those games. Yeah, I would. Because um, I was thinking about, because I still have my Wii U all looked up. Yeah. I was thinking about going home, maybe. Yeah. Because the Wii U shop's still open. Yeah. Maybe I'll get it on there. And it's not. 
Yeah, and another yeah. good way to play it is the fan translation. Final Fantasy yeah. V was the... Um, it was not the first completed fan translation, but it was really, really close yeah. to it. Um, I think my brother did that back in the day on an emulator. Yep, yep. yep. Uh-huh. And that's how a lot of people got in touch with it. And so talk about that in the book as well, the fact that Final Fantasy V was this game that was like owned by the fans in the West. It was something where the Square didn't want to touch it. The fans took it over. The fans translated. They propagated the information. The fans built the emulators so you could play it. I mean, basically, for most people back in that at that time... That was that was how you played Final Fantasy V was by an emulator that a fan built, a ROM that a fan yeah. dumped, and a ROM that a fan translated, probably using a fact that a, that a fan wrote. You know? Yes. Yeah. And, and that's since come around to the fact that, that that I think companies are starting to realize, oh, there are people who want this, and so again, just like film preservation gets started thanks to pirates and thieves. Yeah, absolutely. So does this. Yep. Yep. Yeah, video game preservation, 100, percent started with with piracy. Yeah. Itself with yeah. Uh, video games. Yep, but uh, but on this book series that you're talking about, mm-hmm. just uh, real quick, uh, this seems like no. like the uh, 33. Oh, sorry about that. About the uh, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the 33 and the third series of books. Yes. Yeah, it seems that, to be a lot in line. Like that, that. was the inspiration. It's, okay. it's 33 and a third for video games. That's yep. Perfect. That's the idea. That's yep. perfect. Well. Chris, thank you very much for talking with me. you got a wonderful booth here with all your, your duplicates. Of yes, course, yeah. we, we had a nice conversation about, uh, what is it, Moonball? Moonball Magic, Moon Ball yeah, Magic. for Famicom Disk for System. Famicom. Yeah. A, uh, a Famicom Disk, a disc writer exclusive. Look yep. it up, folks. Yeah. So uh, thank you again, Chris, for talking, for agreeing to talk with me here. And uh, have a great rest of the convention. Thank you. You too. Oh, Thanks for uh, having me. I'm sorry. One more thing. Of course. Where can we find your stuff? Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, again, plug, I'm features plug. editor at Kotaku. So go to Kotaku.com. Look around for Chris Kohler. You'll find the stuff that I'm writing. I'm mostly doing editing these days, so not writing as much. Uh, but I'm on Twitter as Kobun Heat, K-O-B-U-N-H-E-A-T. And that's where you'll find me on Twitter. Yep. And then you'll find links to everything. And uh, all you, uh, all my Rochester friends back home, you'll see him uh, tweet a bunch about uh, our beloved Museum of Play. So, I will. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So look out for that. We're going to have, so. we're gonna have uh, three videos coming from the Rochester Museum uh, of Play. Yeah. And nobody knows that, so that's your yeah. scoop. On the, on the, on the Twitter, uh, yep. John, uh, John Paul Dyson, is that his name? Yes. He always tweets stuff like about like stuff behind the scenes. And, uh, if I could just be called a, a historian, if I could get that card that I could get back <laughs> there and see it. Uh, but anyway, that, now, let's do our farewell. Thank you very much. Thank you. For having me on my podcast. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Okay, so that was Chris Kohler. Yeah, I got to see him on the podcast. It was it was quite cool getting to talk to him. He's someone whose voice I've heard in my earbuds for ten years now, and I finally got to have a conversation with him, and it and it was wonderful. He is a very nice guy. He is always willing to talk about old video games. So uh, yeah, you definitely follow him on Twitter too, um, especially y'all Rochester folks he goes to the he goes to the museum of play a lot he tweets a lot about it it's cool uh civic pride but uh i'm trying to think of oh one more panel that we saw Mm -hmm. was the watch out for fireballs panel yes that's the one that i thought we were talking about yeah no yeah yeah right um which they did a panel about creative games they did which was a lot of fun uh Andy, I've listened to their podcast before, but what mm-hmm. did you think of the Watch Out for Fireballs guys? They they couldn't have been nicer. They have a great banter back and forth. Um, yeah. they, they seem to to play off each other very well, just in terms of hosting a thing yeah. together. They seem like they're very well suited for it. And if they haven't 
grown into each other's style of doing things. They just they seem like they're a natural good fit together. Yeah. But no, it was great. They talked about the creative games. They they spoke of some of the early, early, early creative games, uh, which I wasn't too familiar with. But then they kind of got into my wheelhouse a little bit, where they were like, "Oh yeah, one of my favorite creative games uh, was actually the Create a Level feature in Tony Hawk Pro Skater," which yeah. <laughs> I did a bunch in high school because we were really, really obsessed, um, my friends and I, with Tony Hawk Pro Skater Two. And mm-hmm. even when three and four and five came out, we sh- we shunned them. We're like, no, 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 no. Tony Hawk Pro Skater Two is is the truth. <laughs> it is. Uh, uh, nobody comes to the skateboard but through, uh, but but through Tony Hawk Pro Skater Two. So, uh, but and so in that one we were um, these were friends I went to church with. So we actually like replicated uh, the sanctuary of our church. Nice. In, uh, in in Tony, as we put you know ramps up all the walls, you could grind along the uh, along the altar. You could uh, <laughs> you, you you could you could skate in the in the, in the baptistry. Um, oh man, man, we uh, we probably did something sacrilegious in that in that endeavor. But no, it was fun to create those levels. That's fine. It was Wesleyan, right? Yeah, it yeah, doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but no, and so that was some creation that I had done there. Um, and I thought, oh, they'll never reference that. Yeah. Like that's just something silly, like a fringe thing that me and my friends did. But then they were like, oh no, that was really fun we did that and I, it was it was really nice to very validating yeah, yeah. To, to know that i wasn't like abusing the game and that other people had a similar experience that i did yeah i the, just the fact that they even mentioned uh jetpack for dos was just like yeah. a, whoa what nobody's ever mentioned that before to yep. me uh who isn't my brother you know my brother and i play that all the time i didn't know of anybody else who played that game uh till then so <laughs> cool um, just to that creative panel, they uh-huh. also uh, kind of there was a focus there a little bit on Mario Paint. Yeah, and yeah. The, and Mar- thing- Mario Paint was sort of the uh, the focal point, right? What 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 they drew to, right? Mm-hmm. And they had talked a little bit about the uh, the music making element of that game, um, the fact that you could make these compositions, but only a certain number of measures. I think like forty eight measures, yeah, uh, if that, if yeah. that, maybe maybe less. Yeah, um, and how you could create little songs and ditties and whatnot, and. Uh, and and that its limitations were in in a lot of ways it's uh, what made it fun and gave it strength. Yeah. But it was it was a neat panel about the about creative games and uh, the only game they didn't mention that I kind of wish they would have was uh, Roller Coaster Tycoon. Oh yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's not just oh here are these predetermined elements just lay them out however you want build paths and do your thing. Yeah. It, it was there you could actually create coasters. And, yeah. And I mm-hmm. usually did. Yeah, um, two disastrous results. Oh like no! Me. A lot of the times, the the aim was just how many people can I kill? <laughs> <laughs> like, like the G forces alone, like, yeah. like will render people unconscious. And yeah, it was just as a you know ten, twelve, thirteen year old. Yeah, it's it's good, clean fun to create roller coasters that shouldn't exist in the real world, and uh, that that even little tiny computer people can't survive. Yeah, right. So it's it kind of fun. <laughs> oh my gosh, I always. Uh... Uh, when when I was a kid, I was just like, huh, my roller coaster is so fast it killed all these little computer people. But when I played it recently, which it's on Steam, the original version is on Steam, sure, and uh, it's very cheap. I think it's three ninety nine. Oh wow! Um, and it happened where I, uh, I my one of my coasters was lethal. And I freaked out. I was like, "Oh my god, no!" Yeah. <laughs> I, oh, I ha- I have to shut down the park. <laughs> Everybody out. <laughs> I'm I'm sure that I'd have a very different reaction playing it now. <clears throat> yeah. But uh, I was mortified when it happened. <laughs> it's so funny how that changes when you get a little older. Oh yeah, I was doing dumb things when I was yeah. a kid. It was like yeah. the I I one of the objectives was oh your park has to make so much money and I, I was like I charge like I charge you to use the bathrooms now. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's two dollars to poop. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> And it was just that that kind of tomfoolery. Yeah, 
But uh, yeah, so we saw those panels. Uh, had a lot of fun with that. There were also other rooms downstairs uh, with different sorts of things. Like Andy has already mentioned, there was a room that was selling pinball parts and all that kind of stuff, showing off their machines for sale. Uh, there was another room that was a lot of fun, the, nin- the Nintendo Age room. They have a room every year. Uh, it's been significantly bigger since they moved since uh, the convention moved out of the Sheridan Hotel in Brookfield. And there were some really cool games on display this year. Uh, Nathan Tolbert had some really cool ones again. Uh, I interviewed him last year. You should look him up. Uh, Bite the Chili is the, is the name of his uh, his little production company. You could Google that. Uh, he had on there his new like uh, I guess it's a Blaster Master ish game, sort of a Metroidvania that he's working on. It was really cool. Andy and I played uh, Super Homebrew War. Yeah, which we was did. a lot of fun. That was great. Uh, so he had those games out there. Uh, they also had, uh, the, the bags game or cornhole game using the power pad, which is always, always a delight to see, always a novelty. Um, and there was also this other game, this new dungeon crawler that should, I believe uh, by the time this podcast comes, yeah, so, so the, so the Kickstarter's done, but, um, but the name of it was Candelabra Estacero, and I interviewed, the uh, the fellow who made it, his name is his online name is Kevbot, with a three for an e, and uh, you can listen to that interview here. Hey folks, I'm here in the Nintendo Age room at the, the Midwest Gaming Classic. Uh, it's a place where lots of people are showing off their cool homebrew wares. Uh, there's one in particular here that is currently on Kickstarter. I think by the time that this airs, it will have completed. Nonetheless, do check it out. Uh, but uh, I'm here with... It's uh, Kevin Hirschberger with KevBot's Homebrew Highlights. Okay. And, and uh, I believe uh, you've done a few homebrews in the past for the NES, correct? Yeah, I've uh, worked on a handful of them. Um, you know, we have just smaller projects like Enigma Core, Kevin Power, and then uh, like the Haunted Halloween uh, 15, 16, 17 scare carts. Mm-hmm. Uh, also have a oddball game called Cornball Cocksuckers, which people tend to like. Okay. And then the current project is uh, Candelabra Estacero. I was wondering how to pronounce that uh, Estacero. Candelabra Estacero. Yep. It uh, really rolls off the tongue. I love that. Well, yeah. once you know how to say it anyways. Right, right, um, right. But, uh, but this is a, uh, a new dungeon crawler for the NES. Uh, kind of in the mode of like uh, gold box D&D games, sort of. At least it has that aesthetic on uh, face value. But yeah, tell us more about this. Yeah, so uh, Candelabra Estacero, it's the first homebrew NES dungeon crawler to hit the market. Mm. Uh, it plays, it's a 3D first player kind of feel. Plays like a wizardry or swords and serpents, uh, mm-hmm. maybe like a Eye of the Beholder. Uh, what's yeah. really unique about it is you play with two NES controllers because you use two D-pads. Uh, mm-hmm. The game has a really unique fighting system and defense system, which is real interactive and um, can, can be a little bit to get a hang of, but once, you, once you've once you got it figured out, you're... Well, it kind of reminds me of Undertale a little bit in terms of having sort of more of an active RPG mm-hmm. battle system. Yeah. And I love that people are taking that and running with it. And so you see that in, the, in this game. It's It's... I've only had it, I've only played it for just a little bit, but it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you. So it's programmed by Sly Dog Studios. Uh, okay. Rob Bryan at Sly Dog Studios has a handful of other homebrew games out. Um, some of the more popular ones are uh, the Mad Wizard. Uh, okay. Rise of Amandus. Uh, he's also got a couple other 
little ones out like snail maze. Yeah. Um, any virus, NES virus, sorry, virus cleaner mm-hmm. uh, for the NES is one of his older ones that was pretty popular. Mm-hmm. Um, so he programmed this one. Uh, he'd been working on this one since about 2013. Okay. Uh, so it's it's been in the making for quite a while. Um, little projects had gotten in between here and there, like uh, the Black Box Challenge game was in the middle yeah. there. Uh, Jeffrey Wittenhagen released that one uh, a few years ago now, I believe. How uh, uh, how close would, uh, would you say this game is to being complete? This, this game is a hundred percent done. Oh well, how about that? Yep. After the Kickstarter, will people be able to uh, pick it up? Will, will there be a second run or something like that that, yep. that people can look forward to? So the plan is uh, the Kickstarter ends in about about a week at this point. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to come offline at April twenty first, uh, twenty nineteen here. And it'll be available on BackerKit still if anybody does miss the Kickstarter. Um, Good. I'm going to get it set up on BackerKit. Mm-hmm. And then I'm, I'm going to be buying enough supplies to make a, a handful of copies there afterwards as well. Because I like to go to uh, some of the different expos. I take. Mm-hmm. I run a little thing called KebBot's Humber Highlights. I have two little mini arcade cabinets I take around to different expos, showcase some different homebrew games, uh, sell some here and there. A lot of that's based on what I can find and and what makes sense for me to be bringing places. For sure. Well, uh, thanks so much for talking with me. Uh, can we tell you? Can you tell us more about where we can find you? Where we can find your projects? So you submit into the Kickstarter. Uh, where can we find uh, Kevbot's Homebrew Highlights yep. on the web? And so Kevbot's Homebrew Highlights is uh, it's pretty much a Facebook only thing at this point. Okay. Uh, I'm not really on. Uh, Twitter or Instagram. I have accounts, but they're more personal rather than um, yeah. game-related stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, on Facebook, mostly. Uh, I'm on Nintendo Age, um, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, Kevbot, K3VBOT. Um, and then Kevbot's Homebrew Highlights is that K3VBOT uh, Homebrew Highlights there as okay. well. Great. Well, thank you very much for talking with me. Yeah, and absolutely. do look out for Candelabra Estacero. Uh, it's uh, it's looking pretty polished. It is uh, a lot of fun if you love those dungeon crawler type of games. So uh, thank you very much. All right, perfect. Thank you. All right, that was Kevbot. Uh, yeah, definitely look up Kevbot's homebrew homebrew heroes. Uh, it's a lot of fun to uh, to rifle through that page. Um, and I think that was all the interviews I did. I, I talked about Ben Heck. Yeah, yeah, that was all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't do a lot of interviews this year. I was kind of kind of more interested in just experiencing the convention um, and not worrying too much about, you know, making sure I had something done for it. You know, I wanted to enjoy myself. Right. So that is what I did. But yeah, the Nintendo Age room was pretty cool. The the room with uh, Ben Heck's stuff in it. There was Ben Heck, and there was a. Uh, I think it was bit yeah bit build, which was really cool. People who had made like portable Wii's and portable Game Cubes and stuff, uh, that was pretty pretty rad to see. Yeah. Some guy had brought a mechanical television he made. Oh wow! There was a Amiga twelve hundred running video toaster, which was pretty cool. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, there, there was all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, may I speak of uh, one? That oh that please. Was yeah. So there was a um, one of the. Uh, celebrities i alluded to earlier um that was only a celebrity to me is a a gentleman named um brian collin and he is a ceo of gamerefuge.com okay or of game refuge the company game and he creates um arcade cabinets he created arcade cabinets um in the late 90s early 2000s and whatnot and he 
most is most notably known for for Rampage. Yeah, which he made for Midway in the eighties. Yep. Yeah, he made them for that, that for them in the eighties, and he had a, kind of this uh, poster up with uh, a list of these games that he has made over the years, and and one of them is just kind of like down in the corner, and it was on the poster but barely. Yeah, and it was the Star Trek Voyager arcade cabinet. It's it's one of those cabinets. It's not one you stand in front of, but it's one of those bigger, wider ones that you actually climb inside of, like almost like a booth. Yeah, and you—it's uh, like a, a shooting game, like you, Jurassic Park. Yes, yeah, yeah. So you uh, two players each grab a gun and you shoot the Borg of, mm-hmm. of inside of the Star Trek Voyage inside the the ship, the USS Voyager. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was excited because my wife and I had played that game on our honeymoon in Walt Disney World, and and we went in there with rolls of quarters, saying we're gonna finish this game and we're gonna experience it, and we're just gonna you know take it all in. And so I saw that he was there and he had created this game, and I, I said to him, I said, sir. Um, that game just means a lot to me. I wanted to just say thank you, and I appreciate that game. Mm. And he said to me, he goes, no one's ever come up to me before to speak specifically of that game. He goes, that's considered one of my lesser ones. Like, nobody cares (laughs) about that game. (laughs) And I said, well, let me be the first to say I care about that game. That game means the world to me. I love that game. Yeah, and uh, and he could not have been nicer. He could not have been more gracious. Um, And I, I think we made each other's day. Yeah. I, I, I think I think I made his day by appreciating one of his less appreciated games, and he made my day because um, almost ten years ago, when I was on my honeymoon, it never in my wildest dreams did I think I would one day get to shake the hand of the man who made this game yes. that I will remember probably forever. Yeah, and it seems silly to be emotionally connected to a random arcade cabinet I played um, in in two thousand and nine, mm-hmm. but. There's a there's an emotional component. Oh yeah, there. honeymoon man, like yeah. that's a big deal. Yeah. So so it was it was really cool to meet the guy who made it and to be able to just say thank you. Yeah, and and he seemed like he appreciated the interaction as well. So that was that was a real highlight of the trip for me. It wouldn't have been probably for many other people, but for me, it just I'm gonna remember loving that game in the first place, but also the that interaction I'll remember for quite some time. Oh yeah, well for sure. Uh, there were a lot of really, I mean, everybody was so nice to talk to. Um, even people who you would think of as like, even people you would think of as like, well, I shouldn't be talking to you. Well, right. why are you talking to me? Right. That's just, that's the way I felt about Chris Kohler. That's the way I felt about uh, when we talked to Tad Stones, right, uh, creator of Darkwing Duck, and he just he sat and chatted with us for a little bit. He you did. Know? I didn't even buy any of his artwork, and he still chatted with us. Like, you know, what well, what a gracious guy. Yeah. Um. Which, by the way, his artwork is good. It's very good. Yeah, it was really good. I regret not buying some yeah, artwork. I should have bought one of his, one of his little cards. Um, I, I have his. Do I did I grab his business card? Because I'm sure I could get I could order something from yeah. his website. I'm sure you'd ship something out yeah. if I wanted it. Yeah, not not quite as cool as buying it in person. Though. No, no, no. Um, but uh, yeah, I got to talk to him and tell him about how uh, how my brother used to call Darkwing Duck Darkwing Guck because he was four. <laughs> Right. Um, I got and, to tell him how I dressed up as Darkwing Duck for a, a class project in, uh, in I believe it was kindergarten yeah. or first grade uh-huh. or something. Yeah. Um, and after we had that conversation, my mom dug out the Darkwing Duck costume and put my son in it and sent me pictures. And so I got to send, I got to show him pictures of my son dressed up like Darkwing Duck. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, man, oh man, what a, what, what a cool, cool experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's get dangerous. Let's see. Who else? Well, there was all, there was the big meetup. Uh, the Retronauts every year does a meetup uh, at the Midwest Gaming Classic, and uh, this year, as in last year, it was at the 1983 Arcade Bar, which is in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And that 
I mean, it confused me, but it didn't. Hmm. And I, I say that because, I mean, it's very on brand, right? Yeah. Like, right. like, oh, we go to an arcade bar because right. that's you know they. But I had just done yeah. <laughs> eight hours in an arcade, and my brain is telling me, okay, no more beeping, no more flashing lights. Yeah. And I didn't know really know where we were going, where we, you, yeah. were t- you were taking me. And we're like, okay, we're here. And I go inside. I'm going, oh god, it's more, it's more arcade cabinets. Yeah, more video I, games. <laughs> and so like, I I thought they were cool, and I still played them, and I had yeah. a I had a blast doing it. But yeah. my my initial reaction was, I I don't know if I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm so tired. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it was it was cool. Every uh, everyone there was, was great. That it's a cool establishment. If you ever get a chance yeah. to go to 1983 in Milwaukee, I, I recommend it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's it, it's a lot of fun. They have good machines there too. Yeah, they have an Arkanoid and a Tron and uh, a Donkey Kong machine that works. Yes, uh, which is nice. And Donkey Kong Junior. If uh, you know you're a masochist, they, and they have a, a Tetris uh, cabinet. Yeah. They they have an original Simpsons mach, uh, pinball machine like from like 1990. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so early in the Simpsons is that Smithers is still black on the machine. Oh wow, that's how early this machine goes back. Um, but uh, yeah, they, they have some cool machines. I mean, it's not huge, but uh, but it's fun. It's a good time, and they they have a Super NES Mini hooked up to there, so you can just play the Super Nintendo if you want to. Yeah, behind the bar um, there are two uh, beer soaked controllers. Well, I was saying, well, there's two 50 inch televisions. One is yeah. playing a baseball game, and the other yeah. is playing. Um, you watch the Brewers, Mario Kart, yeah. right? You watch the the Milwaukee Brewers, and the other one is is Star Fox. Um, but yeah, I mean, you got to talk to cool people there. You know, I got to talk to Jeremy Parrish a little bit, and he uh, and Chris Kohler. They watched me play Donkey Kong uh, poorly. Uh, it was not my best game uh, that I that I played. Um, so yeah, I uh, I got to talk to them, and I uh, got to talk some more with the uh, Nintendo main guys. We got to just kind of hang and chat, and uh, we also got to. Uh, I got to talk with Bob Mackey a little bit and tell him how much I appreciated the Secret of Nim podcast that he did recently and how that sort of led me back to the movie and I've decided it's one of my favorites now. So there you go. Secret of Nim podcast coming when? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe we'll do Don Bluth one of these days there you a, go. as a memory machine. Um, that would be quite the episode. Yeah. Yeah, it would be. Boy. Um like I said, I got to talk to Brian. I uh, got to uh, Brian Clark. We got to talk a little bit about uh, PC Engine and uh, you know just uh, the the fun of of translating and transcribing uh, the the labor of love that that is. Uh, yeah, I think that about uh, sums it up for for this year. Have you got anything else left to say about the Midwest Gaming Classic? I would just say if you get the opportunity, if you think you can finagle a couple days off work. Because yeah. you, you'll want to take off the Friday before, and you want to take off the Monday after, right? To either travel or recover or both. Yeah. Um, but either way, if you have the means and opportunity to go, mm-hmm. and you're and you're thinking about it, but you're on the fence, you don't know, go. It's yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. It is. Uh, you will get your money's worth. You will get your money's worth. Um, yeah. I know I did just based on the amount of free games of pinball I played. Yeah. I my trip paid for itself in free pinball games. Yep. But yeah, if if you have an opportunity, I can't recommend it enough. Go, uh, you will not be disappointed by the yeah. experience. I mean, and even the, they they block out uh, the hotel prior that that's connected to the uh, 
to, to the Wisconsin Center, the, the Hilton, and uh, I looked on our door of how much it should cost per night, mm-hmm. and it said it should cost $400 per night. That is not what I paid. No. Uh, so uh, you get they give you good deals on the hotel, and it's... Uh, it's 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 just a blast. If you like old video games, it's a, a big old party just celebrating the hobby. Oh, and I, I do have one, one more observation to make about this. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I mentioned earlier that the Midwest Gaming Classic took up the vast majority of the convention center. It did not mm-hmm. take up the entirety of the convention center because mm-hmm. at the far side of the convention center was a bridal expo that yeah. was going on. <laughs> and so, but in order to get to it, these poor brides-to-be, these young women, had to walk through a sea of nerds yep. <laughs> um, in order to get to their destination. And well, most of them were good-natured. I did catch a couple of them, like, rolling their eyes and, like, giving the stink yeah. eye, like, really? Yeah. Really? And uh, We're having fun. You're we, in a dress that's uncomfortable. Exactly. So it was definitely a situation where, like, no, 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 we're the yeah. normal ones. You're weird here. Yeah, and it right. was, uh, and, and no, there was no animosity. Nobody was, you know, no. giving, giving anybody any nonsense. No, but no. it was just the dichotomy was so funny to yeah. me that, like, of all the things that could have been going on at the same time in this convention center, it was the Midwest Gaming Classic. Yeah, and a bridal expo. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and it, it just it made me laugh. Yeah, the, that that was quite funny. So uh, you're gonna come next year? Um, uh, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. There you go. You heard it. You heard it here, folks. I'm I'm gonna try to get Katie to to join. I think she would have fun, especially uh, if she could retreat to a hotel room when she's had enough. You know. Oh sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. Would would Aaron enjoy the Midwest Gaming Classic, or was she just sort of more? I think she would enjoy half a day. Half a day, yeah. She would get a one-day pass. She would use... She'd be there for two or three hours, yeah. and then she'd be like, yeah, that's enough. Yeah, I'm and done. Then, <laughs> I've had it. Right. Yeah. And then she would be content to explore the city or see something else. Yeah. But my, my goal next year is... Um, so me and Katie would have the hotel room, and then uh, we would leave uh, Teddy with Katie's parents, at least for Friday night and into Saturday night. Sure. But then on Sunday, it would be really cool to have them bring Teddy up, and we can kind of take Teddy back, and because he's five, he'll be five, which I think is like the perfect age to, to start to, to to go to your first one, right? And I would love to to see him just uh, run all over the place and just have way too much fun. Oh sure, um, and he's already building up the skill set right now of video game mm-hmm. muscle memory that I think that he'll be he'll be ready next year. Oh yeah, I mean he's actually decent at Mario. I've seen him play and like, oh, you're not bad at this. Like, right, you're you're getting through levels and stuff like that. I mean. You know, I mean, you're not uh, conquering World 8 like it's no big deal, but still, like, you're competently getting through these levels. It's very impressive. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 that, that's my big goal for next year is just to get Katie to come along. I, think she, I, I really think she'd have fun. She loves pinball, so Lord knows there's plenty of that. So, yeah, thank you very much for listening to our recap of the Midwest Gaming Classic 2019 I have been your host, Nathaniel Lockhart. You can find me on Twitter at Nate underscore Lockhart. You can find me on Instagram at Nathaniel, that's with an I-E-L, Nathaniel dot Lockhart. 
I'm trying to think if there's anywhere else you can find me. I think that's pretty much it. You know where to find this podcast. It's on thegeekiverse.com. And uh, you will also, you, know, you can go to memorymachinepod.com to find past episodes. And go on our SoundCloud page. Check out the other podcasts that are going on over there. Uh, like Girls Who Geek and Geeks Got Game and the Spoiler Casts and all that other fun stuff. Uh, Andy, yes, tell sir. us what you got going on. Where can we follow you? Um, pretty much the only social media that I use anymore is going to be Twitter. And yeah. you can find me on Twitter at TheAndyParks, T-H-E-A-N-D-Y-P-A-R-K-S, with an underscore at the end of that. So, TheAndyParks, underscore. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at that handle, and I will usually be um, uh, ruminating on... Um, Oftentimes it's Star Trek Discovery. Oftentimes it's the, mm-hmm. the Buffalo Bills. Oftentimes ah, yes. it's it's uh, whatever tickles my fancy. I don't try to keep it to one thing. I just whatever is yeah. occupying the the space between my ears. That's that's what ends up on Twitter. So it's never boring. Yeah. Give me a follow. That's right. If you like Star Trek, you know who to talk to or talk at. <laughs> Guys, Discovery season two is pretty good. Oh, oh boy. Uh, all right. Well, thanks again for listening, and I'll be back at you again in a couple weeks. We love you. Bye. Take care. Goes where all good neighbors passing by Makes no difference where I go You're the best hometown I know Hello Milwaukee, hello Milwaukee Five cards does love you The hottest roar, drink a miller on the shore here in Milwaukee. And the collar driver's wings just make me wanna sing about Milwaukee. I feel gemutlichite every day and night because it's here to stay. So on the 414, let's open every door and celebrate Milwaukee Day. Makes no difference where I go. Hometown, I know. Hello, Milwaukee. Hello, Milwaukee. All of us love you. Makes no difference where.